Well, the congregation of the Lord, I would say it's probably safe to say that in most of our homes, whether in the kitchen or in the living room, you will see on the wall a calendar, a calendar with all the the months and the dates of the year, and up at the top in maybe big, bold font will be the numbers, 2021. And of course, in a relatively short period of time, we will be taking down that calendar and putting up another one in its place with the numbers 2022. And children, I wonder if you could tell me, why is it, why is it that this year in which we are living is the year 2021, and why is it that the next year will be 2022? Then the numbers keep on going up and up, and, and what are we counting down from? Well, if you would go back, back throughout the years, you would see that it all comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. But according to one reckoning, it is the year 2021 Anno Domini, A.D. That's just a Latin term, and, and what it means is the year of our Lord. 2021, soon to be 22 years, since Jesus Christ began his reign. It's a religion, Christianity, that is built upon historical facts. And so it is, if you would look in in this chapter of Matthew chapter 2, you see how it begins in verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. There it is. It happened. An historical event. The birth of Jesus Christ and the, the beginning of his reign as king and in one sense as mediator. And it's this that I would like us to especially reflect upon. You know, I think that sometimes the passages of scripture that we are most familiar with are the ones that we know the least because it's where we're most familiar with a story like that of the wise men that we have difficulty hearing it as something that is true history but also contains a message for the church of all times. And so I'm persuaded the Lord has a message for us also today. And so with the Lord's help, I'd like to consider Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12 under this theme, the role of the wise men in the Advent. The role of the wise men in the Advent. And we'll consider three things that we see from the sacred history. They're seeking the king of the Jews, they're finding the king of the Jews, and they're honoring the king of the Jews. Congregation, will you agree with me that seeking the Lord Jesus Christ is something that none of us can overlook? It's something that is set forth plainly in the scriptures. Indeed, it it says in Hebrews chapter 11 
that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And yet, it's also a truth of the scripture that there is none who seek after God, no, not one. We are each one of us incapable of this spiritual grace whereby our hearts would go out to the one who may save us. And yet all praise be to God that where there is no ability on our end, yet God grants both the grace and the power in order that there would be such that seek him. And it's set forth for us in the example of these wise men. Will you look with me again in Matthew chapter 2? Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So we see that in, in the first place. You see, Matthew wrote this gospel book. He was an able historian. And what he is doing is he's writing this book under the Spirit's inspiration for his original audience as he is pointing them to something that happened. That even in the lifetimes of his his early readers, they would remember and they would connect with the coming of these strange men with their strange clothes, their strange accents into the holy city, the wise men. It's set forth here as an evidence and a testimony of the glory of Jesus Christ and that he is the king of salvation. And what is it that we can learn from this fact that these wise men were seeking the king of the Jews. Well, in the first place, let's, let's consider in this way, what was the cause of their seeking? What brought this remarkable episode about? Well, the first thing that we must say is that what brought this about was a very unusual providence. A very unusual providence. And that's... That's very plain from our text. If you would simply look down in verse 1 at that word, wise men. Wise men. I suppose two words in our English, but in the Greek it's just one word, magi. Magi. And if you would look at every other case of this word in the New Testament, it always has a very negative connotation. If you were to render that word very literally, it would, it would probably be something like sorcerer, wizard. The idea here is this is someone who is seeking religious truth, religious power, and religious experience, but not through the means appointed by the true God, but rather through dark and occult arts. If you would would want to know what, what these wise men are about, you might, might consider, for example, the book of Daniel, which was preached to us recently. And, and if you know about the book of Daniel, you'll know that all around King Nebuchadnezzar, there were these group of advisors. There were people who were especially giving the, the king a sense of religious uh, instruction, 
And they were doing it how? Well, they were, they were looking into dreams. And they were looking up at the stars, and they were applying the, the dark art of astrology, believing that the stars were controlling all the affairs here below. And so there's something demonic about that whole practice. Here are, are people who have been given over to the, the most black of paganism, people separated from God and from his truth. And what can account for this? There they come. There to the holy city. They're traveling this great distance from the region of the east. And there they are seeking the king of the Jews. What can explain that? Well, we don't know. I mean, I think the most likely explanation is some connection with Daniel himself. He was a prophet. He gave revelations of the Messiah. Perhaps his writings were were passed down to them in some way. Maybe it was something else. But here is something we can't deny. This was part of God's providential plan. And it's a striking thing, isn't it? We, we might look at people like this and say, well, that's kind of the least likely kind of person for the Lord to work in their lives. We sometimes think that way. Well, well, there's the sort of person that God would, would like to save, someone who comes from this background or belongs to this church or comes from this family. And we'd look at someone who's completely on the outside, unconnected with our circles, and we might say, well, that, you know, that's kind of a lost cause. And we must remember also from the testimony of Scripture that it is not so. We must never place such limitations on the grace and mercy of God. He can order all events and all things in order to save whomsoever he will. And so it also goes for you and for me today. Perhaps we would look at this past week and the things that have happened to us, or we would would consider the kind of person that we are, and we would say, well, I'm... I'm certainly not a likely candidate to experience God's favor. And yet look at these wise men. If you would see the darkness and the evil that they were ensnared in, would you be so quick to count yourselves outside of the reach of God's love? Well, there we we have in the first place what caused this. It was an unusual providence, but there's also... This in our text as well, it was an unusual miracle. What is it that they said in verse 2? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Well, we know from Psalm 19, verse 1, don't we, that the stars declare the glory of the Lord. None can doubt it. Not even the most hardened atheists can look up into the, the stars and there's, there's not, there must be something, something in their mind and their heart that says God is real. God is the creator. God is good. They're rendered without excuse. But let me tell you something, congregation. Never in the history of the world have people been led to the gospel of Jesus Christ by looking up at the stars or looking out at nature. Indeed, those 
Those things testify of many things of the glory of God, but there's not even a particle of the revelation of God's mercy to sinners to be found there. And so never before and never since has a star been the means of leading sinners unto Jesus Christ. And yet that is what we have here. What are we to make of this? It's, it's very unusual, isn't it? It's this star, and as you're, you're, you're seeing it, um, it behave in this whole passage, it seems to be moving around locally, spatially through the skyline. It seems to be that which is actually leading these men to a particular place, even a particular house, as we shall see. And that doesn't really comport with what we think about stars. We think about stars and we think about these great burning balls of gas, billions and trillions of miles away. I think, you know, bodies many millions of times greater than this whole world. And so it's, it's hard to account for this. Indeed, we ought not even to try. Because God is not constrained by such things. The, the word star in its most basic sense, it just means a celestial light, a, a light in the sky. And so it's, it's very probable that, that this star was, was actually a miraculous creation of God. And we see that great power displayed here. And we, we need to sort of ask, what is the meaning of this? Why a star? Well, if you'd gone all the way back to the, the book of Numbers and, and thought of, of Balaam's prophecy, it had, he had actually spoken about the fact that there are a, a star and a scepter shall rise out of Judah. That indeed, there the prophet Balaam was actually speaking of the Messiah himself as a star. And you might sort of wonder, why, why was Jesus referred to as a star there? Well, you think about it, like stars are, are sort of like kingly rulers in the sky. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, that the stars were created to rule over the night in their, their great majesty. They sit enthroned there in the sky in one sense. And of course, they're, they're bringers of light, right? You have a dark night and there's no, um, there's no uh, lights by the road and, and it's like a thick veil of, of clouds shrouding the, the, the moon and the stars, then it's going to be a pitch black experience for you. And so it is with us spiritually. Isn't that true that left unto ourselves we're in spiritual darkness? None of God's truth will ever profit us one little bit except the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ would shine in our hearts. And so when we see this created star leading these stargazers there into Jerusalem, there to seek the king of the Jews, we're reminded it's almost like a visual parable. Therefore, each one of us need such great need of the leading of God in Jesus Christ if we will be brought to know eternal life in him. Utterly dependent on a miracle. A miracle may be less glamorous than that which is recorded here, but no less wondrous. That is what is necessary to bring us 
to the place where we would seek the king of the Jews. But this is, as well, congregation, we ought not to just think about what were the causes of this seeking, but also the results of this seeking. And you see that in verse 3. We see the first result of this great fact of the wise men seeking after, after Christ in this way. And that was that Herod was troubled. Verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Troubled. Disquieted. Worried. Troubled. Do you know something about Herod children? Well, if you think about it, you'd know that this character was one of the most wicked men in all the Bible. This is... Someone who was not a rightful heir to the throne. In fact, he was not from the line of David at all. And in fact, he was an Edomite. And he was so intent on holding on to his power and holding on to his throne, he even killed his own family members in order to eliminate any rivals. You can find this in the history of Josephus and, and other places. A very wicked man, this. And so when he, when he hears of another king, another king of the Jews, indeed one who does come from the line of David, one who is God's chosen king, this is the result. He is troubled. And I wonder, has that ever happened to you under the preaching of the gospel? Has it ever been the case when the word of God is opened and, and the glory of Christ is presented to you and you hear something about his kingship and his claims upon your life? Have you ever been troubled by that? And you begin to think about your life and you begin to think about how tightly you're holding on to the control over your life. You don't want one to rule over you. You don't want this Christ as your king. And so there's a disquiet. There's a trouble in your heart. So that can be the case as it was here. But consider also this other, other thing that we notice as, as a result of this seeking. And that is that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. What a striking thing that is. You know, I'm reminded of what Jesus himself said later on in his, his ministry. He was speaking to Jewish people at that time, and they were quarreling with him. They were rejecting his, his calling and mission, and, and he had to remind them, you know, Abraham saw my day and was glad. He was saying, you know, your father Abraham, he, he looked ahead in faith to the promises of a seed, of the one who is the true mediator and Messiah. And he looked ahead in faith and with expectation. But now I am here. And you are not interested in me whatsoever. It's a similar thing here. Here is the holy city, the seat of worship the separated and covenanted people of God under the old covenant. And they hear this news about the king of the Jews, even the very Messiah of God, and, and rather than earnest expectation, what do we see? We see that they are rather troubled by this. And I think if we would look in the, 
in the thrust of this, this story, we can see that there is a sort of different character to their disquiet of soul. Indeed, we can say that they weren't like Herod. They weren't, um, they weren't actually on the throne with an unrightful claim. Many of them weren't murderers as he was. And yet for them, the trouble took on a, a different character. For you see, they had heard about another king. And they came to be aware of this fact that if King Herod would hear about this, there would be deadly consequences for anyone who is perceived to be identifying with another king. That's how it is, isn't it? When you live under a ruler who does not fear God, nor obey his laws, nor worship Jesus Christ, then the seat of power is in the control of one who is hostile to Christ. And there will be consequences, whether small or, as is often the case, great consequences for those who would be identified with Jesus Christ. It's the, the lot of all true followers of Christ throughout the centuries. In one way or another, there is going to be a cost to pay. Indeed, there are people right now around the world giving their lives because they are those who name the name Christian. And yet there's always the temptation, isn't it? When the chips are down and the hour comes and, and the cost is, is actually manifested that we must pay, it's so tempting, isn't it, to give in to the fear of man and not to receive the news of Christ's kingship over all things and over our very souls as good and glad tidings and something that brings us into all subjection unto God, but rather as something that fills us with fear and dread, even to where, like these Jews, we would go about our business, keep our heads down, rather than stand with Jesus Christ. Fearful thing, this. But of course, we don't just see in this passage that they are, find, uh, they are seeking the king of the Jews. We also see this as well. They are finding the king of the Jews. And you see that in verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. So it's not only the case that they sought the king of the Jews, they also found him. And if we would ask the same question of this matter, how is it that this, this came about? What was the cause of their finding him? Well, we'd have to say it was the word of God. The word of God was the result of their finding. 
the king of the Jews. So it is also from generation unto generation, the word of God read, the word of God preached. It is that which is the very source of eternal life in God's appointed plan. This is how his spirit is pleased to work, and this is how God, God is pleased to save his own. So it's the word of God, and it comes about in a very remarkable way, isn't it? You know, children, sometimes uh, even older people, we might not know the Bible so well, and so we need to, to maybe search for where is that verse? And, uh, or maybe we go to someone who's like, what, where is this word that, that I'm looking for in the Bible? And there was something like that with, with Herod, you see. He didn't know his Bible so well. And so in order to answer this question, where is the Messiah to be born? He kind of calls a synod or a gathering of all the great theologians and teachers of the church. And, and he asks this question, where is this king to be born? And you notice how it is. They, they go to the prophet uh, Micah and, and they read this, this wonderful prophecy there in verse 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Blessed revelation of the kingship of Christ here. You know, I think we sometimes don't feel the weight of that. That Christ is indeed a ruler. You know, some people might say that, that Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of Canada, that she's kind of a ruler. After all, she's on the, on the money, and, and technically her, her name is on all the laws that are, that are passed. And some people would say, well, there's the ruler of Canada. But of course, if you know a little bit about how our government works, you know that in reality she functions a lot more like, like more of a, um, of a mascot or, or something like that. We ask we honor her in a way, but... You know, she's no more, more responsible for the running of our country than Ronald McDonald is of McDonald Corporation, right? But how sad it is when that's how people look at the church. As though, yeah, they talk about Jesus, and there's, there's Jesus this, and maybe they even say, Jesus, he's, he's our king, he's the head of the church. But, but in what sense does he rule? Is indeed the church of Jesus Christ as it is as it should be, an absolute monarchy, an absolute dictatorship where his word goes. That before we would do anything or make any choice, or especially as the rulers of the church, we would go to the scriptures and say, what does our king say? That's how he he puts it, right? Out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That's how it is among the true people of God. Christ is their ruler. But what a humble king this is. In the land of Judah, thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. A humble king this. Though all the innumerable angels of heaven worship him, yet he counted quality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, was made unto the likeness of man. Indeed, the everlasting word of God, equal 
to the Father, begotten of the Father from eternity. He took unto himself mortal flesh, a human body and soul, so that now this one true God-man, Jesus Christ, is both God and man and one glorious person and mediator. What humility is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but that he should be brought even lower to a humble place like Bethlehem, which simply means the land of bread, born to a poor Hebrew family, not in the splendor of Jerusalem, but in the backwoods of that, that small city of Bethlehem. What humility is Christ? Is there anyone here who, who can say that Christ will not have dealings with you? Look how gentle he is. Look as he is there, a little baby in Bethlehem. And in that picture of Christ, how, how can you hold back from truly finding him for your own soul? Well, that we see, don't we? It's the word of God, but, but look how it comes to to these wise men, how it is that it was brought about. It says there, doesn't it? Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. The, these men, these, these wise men, the magi, they received the truth of the scripture from such an unworthy instrument. Even King Herod, this one who hated the Lord Jesus, this one who desired to kill him, it was he who was the preacher appointed to, to point these people to where he could be found. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that when it comes to things of faith and things of eternity and things of salvation, you do not need the word of any man. You do not need to, to look to me or anyone else for, for your answers. If what you're looking for is, is a human being that you can place your faith in, then I have, I have very bad news for you. That, that won't do you any good. Your faith must be a divine faith, the faith that goes out to God in Christ. And so it matters not the instrument or the servant of the Lord who would bring you that message. You know, I think about maybe as these, these wise men would, would have reflected on this incident, they would have thought, isn't it incredible that, that it was such a wicked man who actually brought me to faith? And so it was. We, th we think last year, that famous evangelist with his many, many books and his, his millions of radio listeners turned out to be living a life of, of great sexual immorality with many women. And, and all around the world, people were asking, that was the man who brought me to the Lord Jesus. It was he who, who made me inquire about the things of God. Am I, am I just a sucker? Am I just someone who's led astray by, by every, every false teacher? Oh, remember this, don't we? That the Lord can use whatever instrument he chooses in order to bring souls unto himself. And all the glory and all the authority belongs to God alone, no matter whom he would use. So we see that, don't we? That is the cause of the, 
them finding the, the Lord Jesus, and that was the word of God. And we, we can see also the results of this finding the king of the Jews, can't we? Verse 9, And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Extraordinary joy here. It doesn't just say joy, but, but great joy. No, not just great joy. Exceeding great joy. What joy flooded into these men's hearts when they saw that their prize, the object of their affections, was there. It was there. They had found the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that how it truly should be with us? Yes, we, we acknowledge, don't we, this life is a veil of tears, filled with sorrows, filled with griefs. It's not a lot of flowery beds of ease that the child of God knows, but one of affliction and sorrow. But is there not in the midst of the crying and the sorrow, is there not spiritual and eternal joy for those who rest in God in Jesus Christ? For those who have gotten the Son of God revealed to them in power. If you have Christ, then you have everything. But if you lack him, you have nothing. You can never know this joy. But we cannot rest until we do. That's what we see. Extraordinary joy is the result of this finding, but also extraordinary fellowship, right? Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. What an, an amazing worship service this was. One like any other in history. There are these wise men, great and, and wealthy men with their, their strange clothing. And they come into this house where the star is, is overhead, pointing them to. And there they find just this poor Jewish family. There's the carpenter Joseph. There's this, this mother recovering from giving birth. And there... There is the humble, the humble little incarnate Son of God, the one who has the very stars and, and the entire universe in his hand. There he is in the arms of a poor Hebrew girl. It's an un, unusual gathering, isn't it? People from completely different walks of life. There they are. Why? A shared love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, congregation, there's all sorts of things that you can try to hold together a group of people with. Maybe a shared background, or, or maybe a shared history, or shared uh, experiences, or, or, or just common uh, personalities, whatever it may be. But here is how it should be with the church of Christ. That no matter who we are or where we come from, there is a place for us because of the one that we adore. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He brings us together, even with people who we otherwise might have very little in common with. And so there's 
There's these results of their finding. But in the third and last place, let's consider not only their seeking and finding, but honoring the king of the Jews. Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. How is it that they honor the king of the Jews? With their worship. That was why they had come all that great distance. To worship him. To honor him with their worship. And is that not the case, child of God? That is why you come here on the Sabbath day. That is why you keep the Lord's day holy. That is why you know that if you are able, your place is among the people of God in gathered worship. And is that in the first place because you want to be edified? Is it because you want to be encouraged? Is it because ultimately you want to get something? No. The first and the last qualification for true worship is that we desire to bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ. That is what it is about. He is worthy of our worship, and the church must worship Christ in the way that he will receive it. Look at them, these wealthy men with their great clothing. They fall down in the dirt and the dust, falling down before an exalted king with his eyes as fire with a a sword coming out of his mouth and his feet is bronze like we see in Revelation? No. No, they don't see anything like that with the eyes of the flesh, but with the eyes of faith. They see the glory of Christ veiled in the frail form of a baby and they, they see that he is everything and they are nothing and they fall down and they worship him. That's what it must be, congregation. We must humble ourselves low and see that we are but dust and ashes in the presence of one who is all glorious, all worthy, all merciful. Here is the Alpha and the Omega of all true honoring of Christ, true spiritual worship from the heart. But as well, what do we see? They honor him with their gifts. Not just their worship, but their gifts. And this comes out, doesn't it, there in verse 11. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, precious, valuable gifts. And, and I think you can't really improve upon the interpretation of the church father origin in this respect, though he had a lot of um, mistaken interpretations of Scripture Yet here, what he, what he says is that each one of these has a spiritual significance. You see, they bring gold as to a king, says Origen. You think about gold, that, that precious, glittering substance that is fit for king's palaces. And that's what they bring unto Christ. Isn't that what we recognize as well as believers? We must give Christ our gold. We must recognize him as our king. Is there anyone who says that there is any cost too high to pay for honoring Jesus Christ? 
If a bill came due and said, in order to honor Christ, it's going to be $1,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 or $100 million, who is going to say, well, that's just too high a price in order to honor Jesus Christ? No. Take all the gold in the world and it's just a pittance. Christ is worthy to receive it all. We must give him our gold. But as well, what do we see? It's not only they bring him his gold, but also, it says also, myrrh. Myrrh, it says. Myrrh's um, uh, origin says is fit for a mortal. Read the gospel according to John. And old Nicodemus, when, when King Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, he brought that preservative, that special spice of myrrh as a preservative for the body of of his Lord. It's used in that way for dead bodies. And, and that as well, congregation. Have you given Christ your myrrh? Have you recognized him and him alone as the one that you need in order to be saved? Christ became mortal that he might die, and he died that he may save sinners like you. Are you trusting in that? Are you trusting in your works or things you've done or things that you are? It won't count even a tiny bit before the presence of a holy God. Look to Jesus Christ who has died for sinners. He's died for me that I may live. Give him your myrrh, congregation. But also frankincense. Frankincense is, it says in, in origin, is fit for a God. It's a special kind of kind of aroma that goes forth in the official worship of God in the temple, but also among the pagan nations. This is one who is true deity. Isaiah calls the Messiah the mighty God. And that is why he is worthy of our worship. The one who has redeemed us has also created us. And he's created all things for himself. All things are by him and for him and to him. All praise be unto Jesus Christ. Have you given him your frankincense congregation? Is, is it the case you can say with, with that disciple, my Lord and my God? Well, you see not only is their worship and their gifts, but also their obedience. Their obedience. It says in verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed their own country another way. Striking thing this. They'd be given strict instructions from the king and the ruler of that domain. You come back to me and you tell me where this Jesus Christ is. Not to worship him as he he deceitfully said, but rather to slaughter and to murder this rightful king of the Jews. And yet the word of God comes to them. And it comes to them in an amazing dream. And then they, they come to recognize this most basic fact. That though it means taking a risk that they will be caught and maybe executed. Though it means disobeying the, the rightful rulers of that land. Yet they came to see that there are times when we must obey God rather than man, and we must subject ourselves to the higher authority, no matter what the cost may be. And so you have this, this group of, of people 
and they return to their own distant country, never to be seen again, but their last act before they fade into the shadows of history is an act of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What honor they brought unto him by the grace of Jesus Christ himself. Well, congregation, as, as we close here, I think we ought to just wonder. We ought to have such wonder and awe at the amazing love of Jesus Christ. Not only is he saving sinners, but he's saving sinners from the very moment of his birth. It wasn't the case that he'd been in this world, you know, maybe a few days or, or months or whatever it is, but but there he is, and, and all of a sudden you have these pagan Gentiles, not from the household of Israel, but from distant lands, and they're coming, and they're coming for him, and they're worshiping him. This is our story. Our ancestors, unless we're from the, the background of, of Jew, we indeed came from distant lands and hostile peoples and, and utter pagan darkness. That is our story. But this is also our story that we remember at the advent of Jesus Christ, there came in this first fruits of the Gentiles, the first fruits of that great bountiful harvest from every tribe, color, kindred, and nation, sinners who would seek their salvation in none other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So there it is. It's the heart of Jesus Christ, not only they are the first fruits of the Gentiles, but the first spoils of the new king. Christ received them, received them unto himself, sinners though they were. And Christ still desires to receive sinners unto himself as his prize. Would it not bring such glory unto him also today that sinners would own him, claim him, and surrender their all unto him? as these wise men did as well. Will you not do so today? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Amen. In response to the